Our Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 11. Please join me in the responsive reading. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of the fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, and bread for the eater. So is the word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west, and from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. How could the door to such a great kingdom be so small? Jesus had just told two parables that were descriptive of his kingdom. He said his kingdom would grow from something very, very small into something very, very large. There would not be another kingdom like it. He said that his kingdom would permeate the world, would permeate the other nations like yeast. Unseen, unheard, will permeate an entire bushel of dough. 
Now, the typical citizen of Israel in Jesus' day, when he heard Jesus speak about the kingdom this way, would have reacted by saying, Jesus, you're talking about this kingdom that will grow very, very large. And the mindset of the Jewish congregation would be, isn't salvation limited to Israel? The thought of that same congregation would be that the rest of the world, the Gentile world, would be lost. Except for the very limited number who became Jewish proselytes. That was the congregation to which Jesus spoke. Now Luke was writing as a Gentile. The one Gentile that God chose to write a gospel about Jesus. He was writing, Luke was writing to his fellow Gentiles. Thus, as Jesus spoke about his kingdom going to the ends of the earth, Luke heard it not as the Jewish congregation. He heard it as a Gentile. It was natural for Luke to take up the question, Lord, will will the kingdom really be that large? So here's the Here's the Jewish man. Well, Lord, isn't isn't salvation limited to these people? This question is just as hot in our culture. Is Jesus the only way of salvation? In our pluralistic culture, will only a few be saved? Aren't there other ways to God? We've all heard this. Other ways to be saved. Now, that's how Luke came to this subject. And I want us to see these words about this door to the kingdom. I want us to see these words differently than maybe we have in the past. I'm convinced that most of us have isolated these words from the rest of the gospel, from the rest of Scripture. Most of us have misunderstood what Jesus meant when he described the door as being narrow. Did God really, was God really saying, you know, I will make the door to my kingdom, this great, great, wonderful kingdom, I'll make it so very, very small because I don't want many people to find it. Is that what God was saying? Jesus' words here about the door were a matter of perspective. Some people see the door of which Jesus spoke as being quite small. So very small and narrow, too narrow. To others, the door seems huge, magnanimous. So I ask you this morning, the question before each one of you, how do you see the door this morning? Is it something that is so very small or is it something that is so very, very large? That's the question. The first I want you to see in this passage that the door to the kingdom is gigantic in that the door is Jesus. Look at verse 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. 
In John 10, 9, Jesus is speaking. It's there on your scripture sheet. And he says, I am the door. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's the subject. The door, the, 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 this is the same door in Luke 13. The narrow door. Make every effort to enter. In another place, he says, I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever's innocent will be saved. In Luke 13, if you had been a part of that congregation, if you had been a part of those listening, if you had been a disciple, and you said, Jesus, clear something up. Are you that narrow door? He would have said, yes. Well, how, how did Isaiah speak of this Messiah who was coming? How did Isaiah speak? Of God becoming flesh. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called what? Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. If he's the door. That doesn't sound small to me. In heaven. At this very moment. This morning. In fact we called on the angels of glory. In our opening hymn. In our hymn of adoration. We called on the angels of glory. Help us proclaim and sing his praise. Well, right now, millions of angels, seraphim, cherubim, great creatures that we cannot imagine are bowing before him. Why? Because of his greatness. No one in glory is saying, look how small Jesus looks. The door is gigantic in that the door is Jesus. Secondly, the door is gigantic in that it is inclusive as people from every generation, every race, every nation, every language enter through that door. Jesus said it right here. Look at verse 29. People will come from the east and from the west and the north and the south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. He says people are going to come from all over the world. To the feasts of my kingdom, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, black, white, yellow, red, Japanese, Chinese, Serbs, Croatians, Germans, Arabs, kings and peasants will sit together in my kingdom from all over the world. I love that passage in Revelation. As the veil is pulled back, Revelation 5, 9, it's there on your scripture sheet. And they sang a new song. You are worthy. They're speaking of the lamb. You're worthy to take the scroll, the scroll of ownership and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men from God, from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That door is gigantic. In terms of being inclusive. I love the diversity of Christ Presbyterian Church. Look around you this morning. All ages. Some of us work with our hands in building and carpentry and masonry. Some of us work in banks and investments. Some have several graduate degrees and some have not graduated from high school. Some are from the country. Some of us are farmers. Some of us come from the city. 
Some have more money, some have less. But we all came through the same door. The world, the world will sometimes look up their nose. They're, they're not of us. They don't have our position in the world. They don't, they don't live in our neighborhood. They're not the right color. Or they don't have enough education. And then some look up their nose. Those people are so pretentious about their money. They're so pretentious about where they live. They're so pretentious about their education. That's not the language of the kingdom of God. A sign of the authenticity of my kingdom, Jesus said, is its diversity. So it is a diverse people that pass through those doors. The door of the kingdom is gigantic and that door is Jesus. The door of the kingdom is gigantic in that it is inclusive as people from every generation, race, nation, and language enter that door. Thirdly, the door of the kingdom is magnanimous in that the entrance is free. It's free. Look at Luke 13, 30. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and those in the in first who will be last. See, what, what was he saying? The ones who pass through this door will count themselves last in line. It's, it's not for those who think that they are something. It's for those who count themselves as unworthy. I, I belong at the back of the line. Jesus said if you're, if you're going to be first, you've got to go be last in line. You've got to be the center. They are people, they, we, we are people, the people that pass through that door, through that, that great door. They're so poor they can't afford the price of admission. What was it we read in Isaiah this morning? From in our bulletin. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy and eat wine and milk without money and without cost. That's the call of this table. The interest is free. We think of narrow doors in our society as being for the elite, for the wealthy. My friend Ahmad from Jordan told me about his visit to Dubai with a friend. It was really interesting. This was several years ago. You've, you've heard of the Burj Dubai, the, the great hotel, the world's tallest hotel in Dubai. It's on, I think still the only seven-star hotel in the world. It's the tallest building on earth. It houses the world's largest mall. It houses the biggest indoor ski resort. Somehow that just doesn't fit, does it, in Dubai, a ski resort. Do you know what it costs to get in? 
just if you're visiting, just if you want to go through the door and look, it costs you $75 per person. And then you must guarantee by credit card another that you will spend at least $100 per person in one of the seven restaurants in the hotel. Most of the world cannot walk through those doors. Those are really exclusive doors, narrow doors. Come to the entrance of the kingdom of God, the door to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God makes the, makes the birds look like a, a hovel in a junkyard. There's no comparison. And yet at the door of the kingdom of God, there is no fee for you to pay. The entrance is free. It's grace. Wow. The door of the kingdom is gigantic in that the door is Jesus. The door of the kingdom is gigantic in that it's inclusive as people from every generation and, and race and nation and language enter through that door. The door of the kingdom is magnanimous in that the entrance is free. The door of the kingdom, however, may seem narrow because there's no other entrance. Luke 13, 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Many will try to get in the kingdom through other doors. They will not be able to do so because there are no other doors. The image here is that people try to come through other doors. Look at Luke 13, 26. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all evildoers. Why did Jesus say, I don't know you? He's omniscient, isn't he? He knows everybody. Why did he say, I don't know you? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's the only way. So I'm on the only door. Jesus will not know them <clears throat> because they did not come through him. They refused to come through Jesus. The United States is a seven-star hotel in the minds of many people in this world. And so they want to enter this country and live here. And the United States is open to that. We have ports of entry. You must enter through those ports and go through a designated process. And many simply, this is a debate, isn't it? Many simply do not want to go through that process. They don't want to go through those ports of entry. So they, they cross our borders and don't come through the prescribed process. And what do we say? They're illegal. Today, illegal aliens are entering this country and saying that our entrance door is too narrow. It's more, more wide open than any door in the world except the kingdom of God. But why do they say that? Because it's the only way of entrance. There's not another way. So they make their own doors. 
And what does our government say? The exact words of Jesus. We don't know you. We don't know where even where you came from. We don't know you. We've looked it up. We don't have a record of your entrance. That's what Jesus was saying. I don't know. You, you didn't come. You may think the way is narrow because there aren't any other doors. The door of the kingdom is gigantic in that the door is Jesus. The door is gigantic in that it's inclusive. As people from every generation, race, nation, and language enter through that door. The door is magnanimous in that the entrance is free. The door may seem narrow because there's no other entrance. The door appears narrow because we can only come when it's open. Look at verse 25. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door to us, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. What did Jesus plead with Israel in his day? Over and over and over again, we see it in the Gospels. He said, recognize the time of your visitation. God himself has come down in your midst. The incarnation has taken place. And they acted as if God had done nothing. What was Jesus saying? There will be a time when the period of opportunity is over. Remember in, in Luke 13, earlier in this chapter, the owner came to the fig tree and he said, it's not producing. I've come back to it and come back to it and come back to every, every year. And he told the gardener, cut it down. And the gardener said, let me fertilize it. Let me work with this tree one more year. If it doesn't produce it next year, we'll cut it down. What's he saying? There's a window of opportunity. Those are no idle words, folks. He draws near and a great work is done, and yet our hearts are cold. And God says this won't go on forever. There's a time when he shuts the door, and it's too late. And that's very real. The door may seem narrow. People, we, we think, well, I can come anytime. I want to go to college first. I want to get that out of the way. Then, then I'll come to Christ. Or when I get married, I'll, I'll settle down. Or I'm really, you know, the, my job right now, my work, I, I don't want, you know, this whole church gospel thing. I, somewhere down the road. I've walked in so many rooms where men or women have told me, John, the Lord, my, my life here is coming to an end. Can you help me prepare to meet with the Lord? And it's a, a great privilege to speak to them about the gospel. To tell them about the great, wonderful door. But here in this passage, God is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. 
you may come to that time and your heart is so hard. What did Amos say? Amos said there's a time coming in Israel where you will not be able to find the word of God. I'm convinced that there's a time coming in our nation. We're already into it. Amos said the people will go to the north looking for the word of God. They won't find it. They'll go to the south looking for the word of God. They'll go east and west looking for the word of God. They won't find it. Why? Because God himself has removed it. The door appears narrow because we can only enter it when it's open. And finally, the door may appear narrow because they want to set the terms of admission themselves. And we could say we, the door appears narrow because we want to set the term of admission ourselves. Look at verse 30. And behold, going back to that verse, behold, there are those who are last, which should be first. And there are those who are first which should be last. God has paid the price of admission. That's why we keep coming to this table over and over and over again. This is the door. This is Jesus Christ. He paid the price of admission with the blood of his own son. But we don't want to be charity cases. You can only, see, you can only go through the door if you're willing to accept God's charity completely. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Any work that I've done, I let go of it all. Any sermon I preach, anything. We don't want to be charity cases. Look at our last scripture this morning, 1 Corinthians 1.23. Paul is talking about when he preached at Corinth, most wicked city in the Mediterranean at that day. And he's reminding them what he preached. He said, we preach Christ crucified. Here's the cross. I'm preaching that cross. I'm preaching Christ crucified. I'm preaching the body and blood of Christ. I'm preaching that table. That's what he was saying. But look. A stumbling block to the Jews. They look at that cross. They look at that table. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day said, good. We, we don't need a crucified Messiah. That's not our gospel. We're quite sufficient in ourselves. And what's the next phrase? And foolishness to the Gentiles. The Gentiles look at this and see an itinerant Jewish preacher crucified. That's our salvation. You've got to be kidding. We're Romans. We're Greeks. We're educated. See, that was their perspective. But look at verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power and wisdom of God. Here's the power and wisdom of God. Here's the power and wisdom of God. You see, 
enlarging the door, making it larger on our terms does not make it larger. It makes it smaller. There's no door. I was at a funeral of a friend a few years ago. The friend, by his own admission, had not been a Christian, not a member of any church. We had talked about it before. And he had died. At the funeral, I saw a friend and spoke with him who attended a very, very liberal Presbyterian church in the town, a church that did not preach the cross and our need for the gospel. And this man went on the offensive. In fact, just after I spoke to him, the two of us were standing there. And he said, John, I know what you believe. But I refuse to believe that as man, a man as good as this man was will be condemned by Christ. I thought for a minute because it was not the time or place for debate. But what was it that the apostle wrote in season and out of season? So I thought for a minute. And then I quickly answered, are you saying that we're saved by our good works and that the death of Christ was unnecessary for people as good as this man was? He didn't answer. And I know what he thought. He believed, he, this man believed that we're basically good and that men will be saved by their goodness and good works. Did this man who had died come to the narrow gate and get turned away? No. He was arrogant. So was my friend who asked me the question. They were both saying, we're good enough like we are. God, I, I don't need your son. I don't need the cross. I don't need the table. You see, this table, this table is for people who have come through that door. This table is Jesus Christ. The world has no part here. My friend that day was looking at the gigantic Christ, the inclusive door, the magnanimous door, and he called it narrow. It's too narrow. It was only narrow because he was not small enough to be a charity case. The narrow door is a door of great wonder. Stand and behold and look at it. You'll never call it narrow. The wonder is what the door cost God. The wonder is that the passage through the door is free. It's free. The wonder is that there's any door at all. 